All right, Justin. A through Z. Oh. 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 Um, oh. You know, I had something I wanted to talk about before this podcast. Or, you know, for the intro. I don't remember what it was. Um, and as soon as you, like, said a letter, it completely just went out of my head. Um... It'd be funny if it did start with an O, though. <laughs> it, it, that would really, like, kick me in the face if that was the case. Um, there is some new ongoing strike news. Ah, nice. Nice. Uh, the Writers Guild and the AMTPA or AMPTA or whatever the fuck they're called. Uh, they came together and they had some talks and the writers guild said no that they're what they were coming with whilst on paper it looks like they're coming uh, with concessions that meet what the WGA wants ultimately it wasn't really because most of those points also had like loopholes in it that would still allow for movie fuckery. You know, and there's nothing better than like movie studio math. Because according to like Fox for, you know, for decades, uh, the movie Empire Strikes Back never made any money. It was constantly in the negative and stuff like that. Because, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And they did that because the actor that actually played Darth Vader, not James Earl Jones who did the voice, but the guy that was actually in the suit playing Darth Vader had, as a part of his contract, partial royalties. off. Like, after the movie made a profit, he would start getting a certain percentage of it. And that's why. Huh. But yeah, so that's never happened. Um, but also, I mean, that, that was just kind of George Lucas' style. So George Lucas, I think his like, first wife was also an editor on the original trilogy. And that's why we haven't gotten a, like, we won't get the original trilogy again. You know, it's now every version of the original trilogy is always the special edition. The reason being is because his wife was an editor on the first trilogy, so therefore she's entitled to like a small percentage of, of sales from that. But since the special editions are enough of an edit and enough of a change, she doesn't get royalties from those. So that's why George Lucas even included in his sell to Disney that they can't sell the original trilogy. Wow. Yeah. 
So that's the type of stuff, you know, George Lucas does. And that, I mean, that's just kind of indicative of what they'll do in Hollywood as far as math goes when it suits them. You know, so I, I completely understand why, because part of it was like they would allow for quarterly review of streaming uh, or subscription based uh, video on demand, you know, which is streaming um, that's subscription based, not advertising based. So any of the subscription only models and stuff like that, they'd give them quarterly access to those numbers. But then it's like, but why wouldn't you give it for the ones that are also ad based and stuff like that? It sounds like they're trying to do that to fuck around with some of that stuff. You know, little things like that. It's just, it's still not good enough. Especially, which is really kind of funny that they wouldn't fully do a safeguard against AI at this point. Considering very recently, as in this past week, a federal judge ruled that nobody can copyright AI written material or AI produced material. So anything that is substantially generated by AI is not copyrightable, which makes sense because copyright is inherently to protect the intellectual property of, of you know, somebody's creation. And since yeah, it's AI generated, there's no, you know, creator or, or, you know, anything like that. Therefore, any if anybody wanted to ever make a script with AI, they couldn't copyright it. So if it came up with names and places and this and that, they couldn't copyright it. You know, somebody would be able to legally just go and redo it. Or do whatever they want with it and all of these things and use the exact same names and everything from it. So it's like, yeah, why would you want to do that? Why would you also want to risk doing something that's AI generated to make a script in something that is an IP? So like a TV show. Why would you want an AI generated script for one of those episodes? Because then that might bring some of your IP up to shenanigans like people could be able to use it because you used an AI generated script in your IP therefore people would be entitled to public domain aspects of that now so why would you even risk it so why wouldn't you just go ahead and say all right we won't do any AI shit it's already not a good practice to do it so I don't know. They're, they're just trying their damnedest to just not do what they need to do. You know, I know they won't do what they should do. I'm not naive enough to think they'd actually do what they should do. But at this point, you got to do what you need to do. You know, previous content and, and reality TV can only get you so far. especially when you've got an ongoing strike with SAG. Because, well, yes, some of these studios have movies that they made like five, six years ago that they never released. They could just release some of that shit and give us new stuff. But also, one problem is, is they also have like a billion scripts that have been submitted and bought and everything that they have the rights to that they could make into stuff. But they can't because there's also a SAG strike. And at this point, 
SAG's not really like neither one of them are really going to come to the table and really give you what you want without the other one. You know, you can go make a deal with SAG. But SAG's also still not going to cross the picket line of the writer's strike in those regards. You know what I mean? Like, and vice versa. Like, yeah, you'll get some writer's guild. You know, you can get people back with the writer's guild, but what are they going to write for? You don't got any actors, you know? So it's in their best interest to kind of at least try to lean in the direction of what these people are asking for. Because these deals are only for three years. Do you really want to like have them kind of, you know, meet them kind of halfway? And then in three years they go, well, you've already gone halfway. You might as well go to the other half because it's the same issue again. You know? So I don't know. I just, I, I don't necessarily understand the logic with some of this stuff, especially because SAG, it would not surprise me if a, uh, if a boycott comes at some point soon. Because they are starting to pull some of the like leeway they were giving some stuff. So like 30 or 30 or 60 projects, something like that, uh, were granted SAG exceptions during the strike. They could still continue filming or be filmed and all this other stuff. But now they've they've taken some of that away now too. If any of this stuff was written on an original WGA contract before this one expired, and is would so the Writers Guild would still be held to the old standards, even if the the Screen Actors Guild is not, they won't grant an exception anymore. So it's kind of a matter of time before. Even the small studios feel some of this bite again. Because they that's one reason why I think they were kind of okay with some of the stuff. They still got to use uh, the scripts on an old Writer's Guild contract, too. They didn't also have to be like, hey, we'll, you know, allow... So basically now, even if they bought it on the old Writer's Guild contract, more or less, I think to get an exception now, you'd have to be like, well, we will, you know put this forward as with the, you know, whatever the writer's guild wants now too. you know what I mean? Like they have to bend to both the writer's guild and the screen actors guild to get anything made now, not just the screen actors guild. So I really think that that spells, you know, they were already kind of in solidarity with each other, but now they are kind of mutually combining their efforts with a lot more of this stuff too, you know, doesn't sound good for the studios at this point because they're not winning either way. They're not winning the PR, the PR game with it either, you know? And I think it's because the writers guild and the screeners guild have done a better job of kind of exposing them at times too. You know, when they sit there and they're like, Hey, all these actors and writers, you know, they're millionaires just wanting to make more millions guys. And then that's coming from people that are billionaires. So, and that's been, you know, definitely exposed whenever, you know, the Writers Guild and the, act, and the uh, 
the Actors Guild have come forth and put forth the salaries of these CEOs that are saying this shit. It's like, oh, you've got some billions of dollars. You you know, it's really nice that you're like, oh, worried that I'm making too much money. Crazy times. That still isn't what I wanted to talk about, though. I don't know. I got no idea. It'll come um, to you mid-record, probably. It will. And then I'll forget it by the end of the recording. <laughs> well, it's not a O, but it is just a, but it's a wrestling item. I was going to ask you about that today. Afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Say it again. So, I might have been talking when you said it. Sorry. Uh, Terry Funk passed away today. So, you know, wrestling fans know who that is. He was very prominent on ECW, WWE, around the Indies. I mean, Terry Funk went almost everywhere. But um, West Texas is really feeling it because he was a wrestler out of the West Texas area. He was from Amarillo. So, you know, every so especially over here in my neck of the woods, people are, you know, doing their giving condolences to the family, talking about Terry Funk, you know, rest in peace and stuff like that. And what's cool is before he died, I want to say about six, maybe five, six years ago, I did get to actually meet him and perform with him a little bit. He came in for Mm -hmm. one of our uh, old school wrestling shows and the show was called the good, the bad and the funk. And so he came in and, he did an autograph signing and stuff like that. And he was sort of like the acting commissioner for that show. And so at the, it, during the main event, he brought in, he said, we're going to have this match, but to make sure there aren't any shenanigans, I'm going to have a bunch of lumberjacks. And I was one of the lumberjacks on the outside of the ring. So it was kind of cool. And, and for people That's who cool. don't know, you know, if that's not self-explanatory. So there were two people wrestling and a lumberjack match is when you have a bunch of wrestlers on the outside of the ring, kind of making sure nobody leaves and no, nobody exits the ring. So it kind of forces the two competitors to have to wrestle in the ring. So it was pretty cool. And he was a nice guy. uh, And, and he was a lot of fun to be around, you know, and at the end of the show, he really like said nice things about old school wrestling and said, man, you know, I really like when I see people working hard to try to keep wrestling going in this area. And this is a great place. And, you know, I hope everybody out here got their money's worth. And that's what it's about. It's about making sure this thing continues on. So, yeah, he was a really cool person. So just wanted to say that and say rest in peace to him, a wrestling icon, a wrestling legend and Nobody could do a hardcore match like Terry Funk. So um, his legacy will live on um, in the world of wrestling. That's cool that you got that opportunity. Yeah. I will say this. It's pretty neat. This show should have been called The Good, The Bad, The Funky. <laughs> That's That would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> You got to keep the same sounds as the good, the bad, the ugly. Just saying. 
but oh man I thought I had something again I thought it was there and it wasn't it's gonna haunt you it really is it's gonna drive me nuts do you just want to go into the episode since I my brain is not working <laughs> yeah let's do it sure <laughs> Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we are going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the new movie, The Blue Beetle. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you so require. And with all that, our resident Blue Beetle expert, Jastin, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about your favorite comic book character finally coming to the big screen? Wow. I think you're getting the wrong bug, superhero. Well, you know, I'm the Spider-Man guy. No, he's Beetle-Man. It's the same thing. <laughs> Beetle-Man. Beetle-Man. is. The big bad Beetleborgs, it's all the same, isn't it? Um, yeah. The suit almost looked Beetleborg-ish because, you know, it was all futuristic and stuff. I can't but tell anyway. if that was meant to be a compliment or not. Because <laughs> you're comparing it to the big bag of Beetleborgs. Yeah, which weren't great. The song was catchy, though. Big Bad Beetleborgs. Metallics or whatever it was. That was the toy No, line, Metallics was two different shows. Yeah, it was the Beetleborgs. And then later, after some success, they did the Beetleborgs Metallics. Yeah. And then, but that was back then when you just had all those Power Ranger ripoff shows. Well, and that just really speaks to how awesome Power Rangers was. Because well, you just had all these ripoffs. There's Beetleborgs. There were like teenage ninjas with attitudes or something like that. Or no, tattooed teenage ninjas with attitudes is what yep. that one was. Uh, there was also, what was it? Uh, VR. VR Troopers. Yes, VR Troopers. Um, God, I feel like I'm missing some still, but those are the ones I really remember. I really remember the Masked Rider. Yes. The mass rider. He wore, drove the bike and wore green and stuff like that. Yep. And then if you want more serious versions of that, you almost had with, uh, do you remember the Mantis? Yes. I remember Mantis. Mantis. I remember Mantis. That was almost like that because he would transform at least. Mm-hmm. Yep. He would transform. But. Man. Yeah, that there was. There so many of those. There was a, that was a very, I really loved VR Troopers. Because I love yeah. that they went into the computer to fight computer viruses. There were monsters. Mm -hmm. Yep. We are VR troopers. And I want Virtual to say reality. one of the Lawrence brothers, I believe Matthew <laughs> Lawrence was in that. Mm. 
I feel like there's more that we're forgetting about. But anyway, oh, back to but back to the I feel like Blue we Beetle. need one like one week. It's just a loop of Jason singing the theme songs he remembers because I think that could go for a good two hours. We can do that right, as long yes. as he does not sing more than six seconds of any song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just got to stop and just keep go to the yes. next one. Oh man. Uh, maybe one of these days, maybe I'll record that. It could be like a special thing that we just have that yeah. you can listen to. But like I said, no more than six seconds. Yeah. And if they are, I will go in and edit them to where it cuts off no matter what, even if it's in the middle of a word, six second cut. It, is it going to have a voiceover view going like, your time's up or something like that? Or No, it's just going to cut or and go to like the next. It's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna cut. Even if you're like big, Dang. bad, it's just gonna cut. Next one. Next one. <laughs> I don't think I like that very much. Anyway, it's copyright. It's all I can do. We can't get sued. We don't have any money. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't you just arbitrarily saying six seconds. <laughs> it's it's that's what we can legally use. But if I'm singing it. Doesn't matter. And I'm just, isn't it, it's, it, it, that wouldn't be a parody? If it was a parody, yes, but you singing it does not necessarily qualify it as a parody. Oh, it will be. I'm not that good of a singer. That that does not <laughs> count still. They could go, oh, he's pretty good. It's copyright. It, no, it doesn't even matter. They could be like, man, he sucks, but it's still our song. If you were changing the uh, words, we could get away with it being parody. Okay, I guess that's true. There has to be something yes. that is parodied yes. in order for it to be. It can't just be a Your a, a voice isn't up. enough to make it a parody. <laughs> I see. That's not like a 10% difference or something. Man, I don't know. I don't know the rules. Anyway, back to the Blue Beetle. That's what we're talking about, right? I think, maybe, I don't know. Um, I mean, really, when I think about this movie... Um, I guess not bad would would be the the word that comes to mind. It's not bad, solid. It, it was it, it was a fine time at the movies, and I don't mean that like in a condescending way, like it was boring or there was something about it I really didn't like. There was nothing about this that I hated. Um. Interestingly enough, I think this is kind of one of those for me where the best thing about this is the non-superhero stuff. Like that that's the best thing about it. Unfortunately, it's a superhero movie. So for me, none of the superhero elements of this really stand out because I felt like I've seen all of the elements before in something else in several versions of other superhero movies. And it was just done better in those movies. So the superhero-ness of this doesn't stand out as much to me. The The best thing about it is the human elements in this. It's, it's, it's our main character. It's, the it's the family it's the those dynamics it's whenever we're not in suits and 
we're just kind of talking or we're being entertaining or we're developing characters, things like that. I think that that's when the movie really shines. Now it doesn't shine enough to be excellent, but it did shine enough for me to at least be entertained and at least to follow along. I laughed at some of the movie. I was entertained by some of the characters and the personalities. And you just got some people who here who are good at what they do. Like, Jolo Maraduena, he's good in this as the the Blue Beetle. He's a, he's a good central character. I, I've seen a little bit of Cobra Kai, and he's great in that. And so that carries over to this. I mean, he was a believable character. I liked the dynamic that he has with his family. And all the members of the family are good. I do think that George Lopez... Um, is pro- of that family is probably one of the standouts. I mean, he's a comedian, so it makes sense that he would have a good sense of comedic timing and be able to kind of, I mean, at first I was kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to like him, but it was one of those things where he won me over. He won me over by the time we got to the middle of the movie and, um, I wasn't annoyed by him. I wound up liking him. So I thought that he was good as the the, uh, Uncle Rudy in this. And I don't know if you come from one of those families where you may have like that eccentric uncle or whatever, that one that's just kind of like off the cuff and he does different stuff. Oh, my God. I am making the realization that I am probably... (laughs) <laughs> the, the the weird uncle in my family and that makes me feel very old <laughs> and just wow this is like a saw realization like I'm playing everything in my head and I'm like oh my god I'm the weird one but anyway um, I, well on that real quick I'm not the weird uncle because I've only got a handful well I haven't met one of my nieces or one of my nephews because they're, they're, they're back in Texas. But, I mean, I guess on my ex-wife's side of things, I was, in that family, I'm not the weird uncle. Um, mm. Because there are weirder uncles than me. Um, but I am the weird older brother to my yeah. younger brothers. Uh, yeah. Without getting into details, I've got two brothers under the age of like 10 and under like so young young brothers and with that family i am the weird uncle or like i'm yeah. the weird older brother i mean i guess in that same regard considering my sisters it's the same family i would be the weird uncle i guess to theirs um and it's mainly because i am the only member of my family on that side that is not die hard republican yeah so by default I am the crazy guy in the family. Yeah. You're that crazy guy. That's not the, and, and it's so crazy to just have that realization right now because of this movie. But I think about it and I'm like, dude, I'm totally the weird uncle. I loved the I'm, real time realization of well, that. That was great. And it's, yeah. And the funny thing with it is like, I mean, I kind of had the same thing, I guess when you were talking about it, I'm like, well, I'm not an uncle, but then I, while I was talking, I realized, no, I, I guess I am also the weird uncle when it comes to them because I'm the weird older brother with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, what when I when I got married, my dad was my best man and he did the toast. 
And so we're up here in the fucking suburbs of Chicago having a fucking wedding. And he's like, yeah, Sterling's, you know, got those weird political beliefs in the wedding toast. And I'm like, read the fucking room, dude. You're the one with the weird one in the room. <laughs> yeah, you, but not exactly in Texas. <laughs> you, yeah, you came to Chicago. You can't be like, oh, the liberals are weird here. Like, and it really have the same ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I guess I, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I am that too. Now that you think about it, cause it's like, you know, like how, you know, Rudy had the crazy beliefs and all this other stuff. Like, yep. I, I'm that with my family. They're like, Oh, yeah. people should make livable wages. Oh, he's crazy. Yeah. Universal health care should be a human right. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, and then I think about my family and me and I mean, it, of course, this is more dramatic and over the top with Uncle Rudy. But when I think about it, I'm like, dude, I'm like wrestling and <laughs> like I'm jumping and flipping around in a ring and, you know, traveling everywhere and stuff like that. A lot of them have kids and children. I'm the one that doesn't and don't have any of that. And I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm this guy. To my family, yeah. I guess everybody has one. You're the I'm Uncle this Rudy. guy, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm that too. Like I'm I'm the only adult in my family that doesn't have kids. Yeah, like yeah. I so, would say that me, you know, having or getting a divorce and everything is weird in my family. Nah, my family that's par for the course in my family. There's only one member of my immediate family that has not gotten a divorce. We're experts. Well, that's kind of par for America, isn't it? I mean, isn't the divorce rate pretty high? Not or necessarily. Or is that different now? Okay, so it's the, the, the rule of thumb is it's like, oh, 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's not technically true. Um, where a huh. lot of that comes from is the fact that when no fault divorce was legalized, the divorce rate went up, you know, because women could just, and, and women and, and couples could just get divorced. Uh for a long time, the history was that you had to prove some sort of abuse or infidelity. So mm. when two people just were like, hey, we're not working out, they'd more or less have to pay, play paper, rock, scissors to go, who's going to be the one that's going to look like an asshole in court? They would have to go in front of the court and be like, I'm abusive or I had an affair, even if they if they weren't or didn't to get a divorce, you know. But one thing with that, too, oddly enough, spousal homicide rates went down whenever uh, no-fault divorce went uh, into effect, too. Because, you know, people wouldn't murder their spouses because they would feel like that's the only way out. If they were actually getting abused and all these other things. Um, Yeah. But that's where it comes from, is there was a gigantic skyrocket in divorces whenever people were just legally able to be like, nah, we ain't working. Mm. Um, I think technically nowadays, I want to say it sits at about 38%. Okay. Well, that's much better than I thought. It's not as crazy as, yeah, you would think it would be. But I mean, yeah. that's still kind of high, you know, but the, like I said, the the rule of thumb was 50 to 52% or something like that. 
but it ain't 50. I mean, that's half. Yeah. I mean, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. I mean, that would mean if you got married, you got uh, you got one in two chances of it working out. That sucks. But yeah, but, 38 makes me feel a lot better. But like I said, though, my <laughs> family, though, is sitting at a roughly 87% divorce rate. Hmm. So we're well above the national average. Hmm. Apparently, my okay. family just loves love. We just love I love, see. and we want to get married as many times as we can. So, but anyway, but no, like so, in like the weird way, uh, my one sister that's never been divorced, she's the weird one in my family when it comes to that part of it. Like, oh, look yeah. at you being married once and happy, weirdo. <laughs> There's got to be one. Somebody's got to get the storybook ended, right? That's why you have a lot of kids, because the the likelihood is that somebody will have will turn out all right. You know, this is a 1927. Okay, we don't need to be having lots of kids, (laughs) which is weird for you to say, considering you're on a podcast with three grown ass adults that just have no children in, in sight. Well, I'm just saying, the more numbers you have, you know, the more shots you get, you know, the the more basketballs you have, you know, the more chances. So you're going to make one of the shots. Or it just but means anyway. you're going to miss more times. And that would be depressing. That would be depressing. Anyway, okay, so we're weird uncles. Got it. But anyway, I like that character. I like George Lopez. And I think because he is a seasoned comedian, it helped. He had a comedic timing. He had a way with these things that it just, he had good chemistry with everybody else because he understands comedy. You know what I mean? So it's not like the most impressive thing in the world that a comedian can do comedy in a movie, but still I thought that his dynamics with everybody, uh, with Sholo, with everybody was good. Um, so all of that was good. And I mean, as far as like the other elements of the movie, um, the, the special effects, there weren't any parts of the special effects that I like hated. I mean, there, there were maybe a couple of times where I was like, okay, that doesn't look that great. But for the most part, I think the movie, uh, looks good as far as the aesthetics and everything like that. The, uh, where the movie is the weakest, I think, is the action. I don't think any of the action really stands out here. You, you know, I think um, whenever we're in suits, we're just kind of in suits, CGI fighting. And um, the, the only times those were compelling was when we got to when we sort of took a break from the punching and then we did sort of some human stuff or we got to find out something about a character or something like that. The, the anytime they tried to in, interrupt and introduce some human elements, that's what made those fights more interesting. But the fighting itself, I just didn't find it very entertainment as far as just like your superhero battling um, in the film. And um, other than that, though, 
uh, like I said, but other than that, even though those things I think are a little on the lower side, nothing was bad. I would think I'm not saying that the fight scenes were bad. I'm not saying that any of the superhero elements in this were bad in any way. Everything is, you know, average to good. I mean, to average to good to decent right in there is pretty much where everything is with, I think the, the actors and the family dynamics kind of took it raises the movie a little bit for me. And since there were times where the movie was really focused on that and not so much the the superhero stuff, I think that this wins because of that. Um uh, uh, and and, I, and I'm and obviously this movie is um is more about the Mexican culture. This is a Mexican superhero, things like that. So there are a lot of jokes and things like that that come from that culture and things like that. And that was fun to see. It was fun to kind of get a glimpse of stuff like that and um, to have those things in there. So all of that was good. It added some flavor to this movie that um, so anytime you see that, anytime you get like a diverse character, I think that when you add those elements to it, it's going to feel um it's going to feel a little different. It's going to feel a little fresh. It's going to feel a little new. So I enjoyed uh, all of that. I don't know much about the Blue Beetle. Like, I knew the Blue Beetle existed. I, I've seen him be a guest in some DC comics and stuff like that. I have never read Blue Beetle or any, any of that. So this wasn't a character that I was familiar with. So I, so if there were East and I know that there were Easter eggs and there are callbacks, I I recognize the original costume when I saw it, you know, and stuff like that. Some of that stuff you recognize, but nothing to me was like, Oh man, I'm a fan and I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing right now. I didn't have that. And man, who knows? Maybe if I was more of a fan of this, I would have enjoyed it more. But because I didn't know any of those intricacies, it just sort of landed okay for me overall. But other than that, I think that that's where I landed with it. It's it's a solid superhero movie that is elevated by the cast that just did a hell of a job um, guiding this along and being the family. And it has some good comedic beats. And overall, I think it wins the day because of those things even though it's weaker on some of the superhero side with the stuff. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I do agree with you that I think the, the best part of this film is the family dynamic and the things going on outside of the actual superhero aspect of the movie. I think they did that really well. It felt like very genuine family relationships and connections that they had. Um, I do have some issues with, like the dialogue throughout the movie for the most part felt a little bit forced in some sections, but when it was organic or it did feel like there were just those actual natural moments of conversation that were happening, I thought those were done really well. Um, I think that the humor missed for the most part for me in this movie. I do think that was an element where I feel like they tried a little bit too hard on the funny end. But George Lopez did have some funny moments 
And I think the moments where, um, where Zolo Maridueno was trying to just be awkward and weird, <laughs> like worked really well. Um, it just felt natural. It felt like he wasn't trying to be funny. He just came across funny because of his personality. And I think that was done a little bit better than when they tried to make things funny in this movie. Um, but that's not to say that I, I didn't still, you know, have a somewhat good time with this movie. I agree with you. I think fine is the right word for it. It's, it's a fine movie. You know, I, I like it better than a handful of the other DC movies. Um, I don't like it as much as a few of the other ones. It's, it's kind of sitting right there in the middle for me, probably on that spectrum of, of movies. But, um, but I really do like Zolo Marduena. I think he's great um, as like a, a lead. And again, I've also seen him in Cobra Kai. So I, I know the, like the ability that he has as an actor. I think the script, I mean, didn't serve him specifically always that well or really anybody because again I do think that there are some flaws in the dialogue of the movie and a couple of missed opportunities with some characters that I think could have been done a little bit better but that being said yeah uh Zolo was I I really liked his sincere moments a lot and I think he was very um I mean he has like this uh, what would you call it? Like a, like an earnestness about him and like an endearing quality about himself that makes him very likable. And, um, and he's, you know, his love for his family and just him always wanting to try to do the right thing. Like he was a good character. I think he, he was done really well. Jaime was a good character. Um, I also knew nothing about the blue beetle before this movie. I think the concept of the suit and all of that is really a really cool idea for what the suit can actually do for whoever wears it. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, I think some parts of that were done pretty cool. Um, but I think some of it was not the best. So, yeah, I mean, there, it's like for every not great thing, there is a good thing and vice versa in this movie. Um, I do agree also about the action. I don't think that there's any outstanding action. Like you said, it wasn't bad, but there's no moments that you're like, you remember that part in this movie when this happened? Like you don't really have that in here. What you do have for that aspect is you remember that family dynamic. (laughs) Like you remember those funny jokes between the family. That's what I feel like is more memorable in this movie. So, um, but because they did have some, some really good dynamics between a few of the characters and all of that. I do think it does make the movie a little bit better than some other ones that you've seen with DC lately. Uh, It has a little bit more heart behind it, I think in a way. Um, And from what I have heard from a few other people um, that are of the Mexican culture, it's very accurate family dynamic. And I'm like, cool. I think that's great. I, I love to hear that. And like I had a friend that I recently saw that was saying, no, my grandma was exactly like that. Like <laughs> very much, very accurate to that culture type of things that were going on in this movie. So I think after hearing that too, I was like, okay, I have even more respect for, for what they did with this film though, because they made it true to that culture instead of just being like, oh, we want to have a bunch of Hispanic people in the movie, but not actually stay true to the culture but it feels like they actually apparently did do that. So um, 
I mean, even one of, one of my friends was like, I don't even like superhero movies. And I liked it because of that. I liked that they were, it felt relatable to me, like in a genuine way. So I think that's really cool. And I think that I appreciate that this movie did that for some people that don't even like superhero movies. So it definitely has my respect for that. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it had potential to definitely be better than it was, but at the same time, I didn't hate this movie. Like it was, it was a completely fine time at the movies for me. Nah, I like it. Uh, my issue with this movie is it was just more of the same. All the superhero elements, all of that stuff. We've seen it now 90 billion fucking times. Not a single thing when it comes to the superhero elements of this movie is unique, new, nothing. It's just all the same shit you have seen from every fucking Marvel and DC fucking movie since Iron Man in 2008. And and probably beforehand, too. I mean, this is the same shit. This is just... Yeah, if this had come out in 2008... It'd be like a groundbreaking masterpiece, but unfortunately it's 2023. So I get that. And, and the thing is with it, where I'll give this movie credit is while it was more of the same, they didn't do the bad shit. A lot of them have been doing lately. This just went the safe route. Like they were like, Hey, What's the middle of the road? That is the road we're taking. They didn't go crazy, so they didn't take any risks. So there was no good and there was no bad. It's just the same shit. Now, where this movie does separate itself from other movies of this particular genre is like both of you have said. The family dynamics in this movie are great. So anytime it does non-superhero shit, it's pretty good. Anytime it does superhero shit, it's more of the same shit you've seen. Right down to the, I don't give a fuck if this is a spoiler, it's in the fucking trailers. Right down to the villain of the, at the end of the movie is a different colored version of him. I mean... If that is a knock against Black Panther, I'm sorry, it's a knock against Blue Beetle. That like, We just got to be fair there with that. You know, I think I agree with you, Heather. The humor is a big miss in this movie. And I think that that's because every single joke in this movie is in the trailers. They don't save a that's single a joke for the fucking movie. They went, hey, guys. We need to show everybody that this movie is funny. So let's put every joke in the movie in the fucking trailer. Just so everybody knows it's funny. Yeah, but when you've seen that joke, I mean, we've we've been getting what trailers for like fucking four months now. I've seen this trailer like 90,000 times. I, I, I knew those jokes. There were no surprises in the joke department in this movie. Right down to the scene where he's at the 
uh, Susan Sarandon's house. And it like when he's like, yeah, you'll see, we're going to be rich and famous. And it like, it meant to make him look like he was rich and famous. And she's like, Hey, are you cleaning up the gum? That whole scene is in the fucking trailer. Which would have been a great scene if you didn't know it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they hadn't spoiled that in the trailer. Yeah. I mean, it's those are the things that you don't ruin. They ruined the fucking grandmother with the minigun scene. Don't yeah. have that in the trailer. Have that be a surprise. That would have been funny. And even like a big moment in like the bigger fight is in this trailer too. Like, and that, yeah, would have been cool to also be surprised by. Yeah. But and I think one problem, like you know, so like that was a big disappointment. So then this movie that was supposed to be funny, there was a guy in my theater that apparently went into this movie blind, had never seen a trailer, because he was laughing up a storm at every one of these jokes that was in the trailer. And I'm like, I'm I'm envious of you. You were surprised by these jokes. You've never seen them before. These are new to you. I'm like, things that got a chuckle from me four months ago, I'm just sitting there like, in this. And if you're listening into this in the audio early version, I made a typical Sterling uh, face. And, uh, you know, and, and the sad thing is, is we are in such a weird time. With superhero movies now, that this got a very high critical response, and I think it's because it just wasn't bad. You know, when we've had a lot of bad superhero movies lately, that like critics were just like, "Fuck, it's not bad." It reminds me of all the movies I liked and I've seen ninety thousand times. I just wish they took some risks, something. Because even with what they did in the movie, they were wildly inconsistent with the powers of the suit. You know, and I'm not I'm not the most gigantic, knowledgeable person in the world on this version of the Blue Beetle. The Blue Beetle I'm the most familiar with is the what the 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 Ted Cord version of the Blue Beetle. And that's not necessarily because of that. It's mainly because of his friendship and team up stuff with booster gold and the time traveling shenanigans they've gotten into in other superhero stories. You know, I don't really know much about the blue beetle as much as I know his team up history with booster gold. And like I said, how that plays into some of this other stuff, but I, I I feel like this could have been something but instead it felt like Iron Man 1.1 15 years after the first one came out. It feels like they, they took the Iron Man like story and stuff like that and mixed it with Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, oh, what if we gave a young person superpowers with the super suit? But it still comes across the same. I mean, there wasn't a single thing in this movie that ever ended up surprising me. 
And I mean, a surprise or something would have been nice. But they went the safest route. And that's really bad in 2023 to me. Because I was getting mad at Marvel four years ago for going this route. And I think it's kind of egregious now that four years later, DC just decided to go, oh, let's make a Marvel movie now. At the end of their DCEU, they go, oh, let's make a Marvel movie now. Kind of sucks when that happens. But, hey, family dynamics were great. Really liked the, the cultural representation with that. I liked what it showed. I'm not somebody uh, this, you know, of the cultures represented in that, but I've spent a lot of time around them. Yeah, and a lot of the family dynamics were accurate from what I've seen. Like, you know, it's, it, it was like, you know, when I'd go to some of my friends, you know, barbecues and stuff like that. This was their family, you know? So that was, I mean, that was nice. That was a good representation. And if you're happy with that in this movie, like it makes you happy enough to like it, that's cool. I personally wish that the superhero elements of this movie matched the energy that they put into the family dynamics and that you would have gotten a better superhero movie with that representation. Because it's good representation, but it's a bad, just mediocre, we've seen it, superhero movie. I wish it was better. Recommendations and scores? Yep. Yep. Recommendations? And score. Uh, Heather, go. With superhero movies now, I'm kind of in a place where I feel like see it if you want to. And if you don't, I don't fault you for that. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at in general with like where superhero movies are, just because there are so many to choose from. And it just depends on your style and type of superhero movie you like. Um, but it is it is a great, you know, it's a great family dynamic film. And I mean, I would mostly consider this a more like family friendly film for the most part. So sure. If you want a fun time with your family, this is way more family friendly than guardians three was. I'll say that. That's very true. That's a good point. That indeed. (laughs) That's a very good point. So yeah, I mean, it it would be a fun one to see with your family. I think that would be a, a good time. You, you you could definitely, um, I could see people really, you know, enjoying this film. I mean, I, I thought it was a fine film. Um, so, yeah, see it if, if you're interested in more superhero films. Um, see it for that, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fine. I do think, yeah, again, kind of like what we've said earlier, like the, the superhero action aspect of it is not really on par with how good the just normal everyday life family stuff is in this film. But um, I think that also in a way makes it endearing because 
there's not a whole lot of family dynamics in superhero movies that I'm like, I want to know what's happening with their family. <laughs> this might be one of the only ones, honestly, um, unless it is something like a guardians where the family is the entire superhero, you know, all the superheroes, but as like individual superheroes and their families, there's not a lot that really engage a lot with all the other people in the superheroes lives. I think the way that this one does. And I appreciate that. And I can respect that from this film. Um, I also forgot to mention that I really do like the sister in this movie. I think the sister was actually probably the funniest of the family members. Um, I just, I liked her sarcasm. I liked her back and forth rapport with her brother. I thought she was really great. So I'm glad that she was a bigger part of this film. Um, Yeah. I mean, don't go into it expecting that it's going to be just the most epic action film you've ever seen, but go into it, I guess with the view of there are things about it that you can enjoy that you might not be able to enjoy as much in other superhero films. So, um, yeah, I think Zolo was great. I think George Lopez was hit or miss a little bit, but when he was on, he was, he was on like, uh, his sincere moments in this movie, I think he was great at, to be honest. So yeah, um, there are things to appreciate and enjoy about this film. I am going to give this film, um, I'm going to go with 73 um, superhero suits that disintegrate your clothing every time out of 100. Gaston, what about you? Yeah, it's going to be a recommend. It's not a bad enough film, honestly, to not recommend it. And really, when you start tallying it up against the superhero movies that came out this year, um, you know, it it does all right for itself. Because, you know, you start thinking about the movies and you're like, okay, is it better than The Flash? Yes. Is it better than, what was it? Um, Shazam. Yeah, Shazam. Yes, it's better than that. Is it, you know, is is it better than... Is it better than Guardians? No. Is it Eternals, better than... Eternals, yes. Yeah, is it well, better than Eternals? Eternals is yeah, older, it's better though. than that. Oh, yeah, that's older. My bad. Um, I was thinking of Quantum Mania. Yes. Is it better than Quantum Mania? Yes, it's better than that. When did Black Adam so, come out? Was that this year? Oh, it was. It's better than that, yeah. Was it was it this year. Or it was, wasn't it? So yeah. it's better than that. So... When you really look at the lineup of superhero movies this year, only Spider-Verse and Guardians are better than this movie. It's the third best hey, that's, yep. superhero movie this year. Black Adam like, it was is. last year, just by the way. Oh, it was? Okay. Oh. Well, even still, well, even if you take that out, I have this as the number three. It, it, it's the third best superhero movie to come out in movie theaters, which ain't bad. You know, that, that ain't, that ain't too shabby. And then when I, and, and I think you're right, Heather, it's the family dynamics, man, that elevate this. It's, it's the, it's the appealing family dynamics that really elevate the film and the choice to lean more into that than the superhero stuff makes the superhero stuff suffer but it was but it helps the quality of the film because the film focuses more on that stuff. Um, 
you just wish it, it, it would be a great superhero film, though, if we had nailed some of those elements, you know, but but it felt like it was a choice to just do enough of that superhero stuff. But really, it did seem like all the energy and the time and the casting was really put to make you um, really care for this family and, and the family dynamics are nailed. However, it's not an A or a B to me because I've seen better family dynamics. You know, Miss Marvel has better family dynamics than this. Um, I, I would say Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther. The, the, the family dynamics are better. I, not the second Shazam, but I would say the first Shazam is might be on the level of this. On the, the level, maybe. I wouldn't say better. If it is, it's slightly. I mean, maybe this is just above that, but I still think the family dynamics in that were pretty good. Maybe that's a debatable one. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I know you there's can another argue movie with Guardians. Yeah. Because that's the makeshift family. Same yeah, thing with, they're kind of a... Yeah, never mind. Go ahead. No, 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 you're right. Um, I, I would say the Guardian dynamic is better. The Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's not the best family dynamics, but they are good. You know, they are good. And I think that people... And I was watching this with a lot of Hispanic people. There were a lot of Hispanic people in the movie theater when I was watching it, and they were really enjoying this. They were laughing at all the jokes. Whenever a character was speaking Spanish or saying something, people were laughing. So whether, and some of it I understood, I know some Spanish, but even when I didn't understand it, people around me were laughing and were getting a kick out of it. And people were really digging the 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 family dynamics, the brother sister, like you talked about, Heather. People seem around me seem to really enjoy this, and I think that's why it's scoring so high with audiences and critics. That's the quality that it has that puts it over the top. That's the that's the one great thing that it has is the human elements are good in this, and I don't know. These days, when you look, when you consider these comic book movies, maybe it's better to have one great thing (laughs) than to have no great things. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of where we are at right now at this point with this stuff sometimes. So it's all right, man. Go check it out. I'm going to recommend it. And we'll go. I'm 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 in the same ballpark as you, Heather. I had it in the seventies. We'll go seventy-five uh Gatlin gun grandmas out of a hundred. If you are a big I need to watch superhero movies person, yeah, watch it. It's like I said, it is just the most average of superhero movies, but apparently in 2023, that puts you in the top three of, you know, the top 50% of them released this year. What a time to be alive. You know, 
it, 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 it's in the top, but then it's also tanked at the box office. Nobody went and saw this fucking thing. It wasn't it like ten million or something, or what it, was it? It made like twenty seven million. Okay, but that's still what? No, U.S. domestic. Okay, that's domestic. Okay. But that's also the worst DCEU opening ever. Mm-hmm. Outside of Wonder Woman 1984, there was the simultaneous release in theaters and on HBO Max in the middle of COVID. Not good. This is a better movie than that, though. Don't don't get that wrong. Um but I mean, it is so mediocre at what is supposed to be what this movie is. I get that it excels at the family stuff and excels at other things, but it is a superhero movie first and foremost. That's what this movie is. And it does not succeed at that but it's still better than most of the shit we've seen this year when it comes to superhero movies. It is astounding how bad those other movies are. <laughs> that this movie that can't even <laughs> succeed at what it's supposed to succeed at is still better than you. Because it doesn't <laughs> succeed, but it doesn't fail. Yeah. Those other movies failed. And while Justin brought yeah. up the family dynamic in the first Shazam movie... Why the fuck did that dynamic go to shit in this movie? In the second one. Yeah. Like. And it's weird because part of me has to wonder if either one, the reason it didn't make a lot of money is because people are a little bit kind of over superhero stuff or maybe DC stuff. I don't know. Or is it because they don't know who Blue Beetle is, so they don't care? It's both of those. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that a lot of movies aren't doing that good right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is the way the movie industry is built now is either you're making 500 million plus or you ain't making shit. Yeah. There's very little gray area these days. You're either a gigantic success or you are a failure. And they live and die by that. I think part of the reason why this movie suffers is also lack of promotion. Like, yeah, they threw trailers out and stuff like that, but where's George Lopez on hot ones or, you know what I mean? Like, where's all these things, like all these things they would do to promote this to movie typically, you know, there's none of that shit, you know, it's, it's, it's the same reason why the best Ninja Turtles movie that's ever been released also really didn't do that well. Because there's not some fucking BuzzFeed YouTube video with all the fucking kids answering stupid little internet questions or about shit from the 90s that they're like, oh, I don't know what the rotary telephone is. Wow, it's crazy. You know, you don't <laughs> Man, have I would watch that interview. <laughs> fucking videos that we all, they, all these fucking places do for this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. They don't have that shit for this. So it's just not ingrained in people's minds that, hey, this movie's out. This is what I need to see. Barbie and Oppenheimer lucked out because they got a good amount of promotion in before the strikes. 
Ever since that, a lot of shit's been tanking, though, because they don't have that shit. They don't have, you know, nine videos of Simu Lu and Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig just sitting there in their banks that they can shoot out after the strike started. They don't have anything like that for this movie to get people engaged in social media and all these other things to talk about and want to like go see your movie. They don't have that with this movie. They haven't had it with all these other movies and all these movies have been slowly dying because what is the one thing you have going for this movie? It's what you guys have said, the cast and you don't have the cast out there talking about this movie. Yep. So it fucking fails. You, you know, like that's 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 the big crux of all this. Well, it's like you said, it's superhero fatigue. And also, who the fuck is the Blue Beetle? Yeah, nobody knows who this character like. This is just such a like I'm, I'm trying to think of what tier he's in in the DC universe. And it's it's some you got to go some letters. I mean, based on like the suit and its abilities and all this stuff, like I, it should, it's a cool superhero idea, you know, but yeah, I had never heard of it. Um, yeah, it it is Iron Man, but just, that's the thing a lot of people don't realize prior to 2008, Iron Man was a fucking C or D list Marvel character. Iron Man was a fucking nothing. Iron Man is the fucking comics that you read. If you were a diehard, I read Marvel comics fan. That was Iron Man. Blue Beetle's kind of that. If you read DC Comics and you're like, I love DC Comics, you read the Blue Beetle. You know this shit. If you're just a cursory comic book fan or you used to be a comic book fan or you just like that kind of culture and all this other stuff, you know who the Blue Beetle is. And that's about it. But where this movie fails is they, while they wanted to make a Marvel movie, they didn't follow the Marvel formula. The Marvel, why did Guardians of the Galaxy work? Because Marvel had built up enough cachet to take a risk on a team no one knows like Guardians of the Galaxy after several movies of success. That's a good point. Yeah. Who the fuck is giving DC the benefit of the doubt right now when it comes to their lesser known superheroes? Yeah. You have your, one of your Keystone superheroes, one of the biggest names in the DC universe, in The Flash. And that movie fails. Why do you think Blue Beetle would succeed? No one trusts you as a movie-making company. I know there are some diehard DC fans out there that do. But the in general movie going public does not trust DC. They've had what? Two successful movies ever? Like, because you can't count the Robert Pattinson Batman. You can't count the Joker. You can't count those because those aren't DCEU movies. I I mean, I guess it's two and a half because Man of Steel, for the most part, financially made enough money. But outside of that, it's Wonder Woman and it's Aquaman. 
those are the only two movies that have fucking been a financial success for you at all. Justice League didn't make enough money. Batman versus Superman didn't make enough money. Shazam 2 didn't. Black Adam didn't. Uh, Birds of Prey, which I loved. We, 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 I mean, you guys liked it at least. I did. Yeah, I, I it was loved great. that movie. Did not succeed. Um, the Suicide Squad, not the not Suicide Squad, which bombed and failed horribly, even though it won an Academy Award. The Suicide Squad, also up there in great DC movies. Yeah, failed financially. You know, the DC EU is filled with failure. You can't take a risk like this without having somebody big enough to help propel it. This movie doesn't have that. That's why this movie fails from the beginning. When it comes to box office. I'm going to recommend this with the caveat that the only reason why you need to see it or should go to theaters to watch it is if you've only seen the trailer once. This movie will be fresh enough, then it's fine. If not, I don't know. Wait for something else. I don't necessarily know if at this time it's worth going. As far as the score goes, I really wanted to give this movie a 50. A straight 50. Because that's what this movie is to me. But I think you guys have made some really good points about the importance of the family dynamic in this movie. And how it really does succeed in that realm. Because to me, the ultimate mediocrity of this movie is a 50. But I'll give it more points for that family dynamic. Because it does look like, I, I, I think I agree with you, Justin. It looks like they maybe intentionally sacrificed some stuff. And I don't know if they intentionally sacrificed. I think that that's just why they went but to the most paint-by-numbers fucking version of the superhero shit. And yeah, like you said, they were just hella safe. They were like, we're not going to make any, take any risk or make any bad choices. We're just going to do what's safe, like you said, on those dynamics. Yeah. And at this point, you know, you got to give it credit a little bit with that. Because like I said, safe is still better than bad. I don't necessarily like safe either. Safe is a little boring, but I don't necessarily hate safe. I kind of hate bad. Because I think the part of the other problem is, is it's not bad in a fun way. You know, there are movies that are bad in a fun way. Velociraptor or Velocipastor, sorry, Velocipastor. Terrible movie. Fun as fuck to watch, though. The Thanksgiving franchise. 
Those are terrible movies. They are fun to watch. A uh, more modern example of that movie, uh, the, the streaming series Twisted Metal. It is terrible garbage. And I enjoyed watching every second of it. I binged that shit in one shot. I did not take a break. I went beginning to end. Like, I watched like four or five hours of that show. Something I would have gotten pissed at a movie for doing. But that shit was so trashy and so shitty and so terrible. I could not take my eyes off of it. I was entranced. I wanted season two to start the second that ended. I enjoyed every second of watching that show. But it is terrible. But fun. So many superhero movies lately are just terrible. And this isn't. I will give it the lowest possible score. I think I can give it and be fair, though. Because it's not a failure. I have to only give it a 60, though. A 60 is where I feel like I am actually truly giving it. Because if this was a Marvel movie three years ago, I would have fucking trashed it. I would have given it a 40% because I was like, Marvel's just fucking assembly line making these fucking movies at this point. I didn't know that they were going to get as, I didn't know they were going to truly shift into bad though. Marvel shifted into bad. So now that carbon copy Marvel movie kind of, I wish maybe like, it's sad that you're making me want to go back to the standard Marvel formula for movies. Because that's at least not bad. Like I said, 60. Uh, 60 just tubes coming out of shit that somehow makes some armor. Out of 100. Uh, so let me... Let me do this here. Oh, no. I, I had I, I had put your guys' scores in. And typically when I do your guys' scores, I go ahead and put mine in. So that I can just, you know, know the Cine score at that point because I know what I'm going to give it. And I didn't do that in this. I, You guys should be fairly happy with the score. It's close enough. Uh, this is a 69. Okay. Uh, 69.3. Like I said, we always round up in Cinema Slayers, but uh, 0.3 is not enough to round up. So, but it is a 69. That's that's a D plus C minus. It's right there with that. I mean, if this was, if, if our overall Cine score was a 70, I wouldn't be mad at that either. You know, it's, it's, it's there. Like, that's what this movie is. And at least there are, there, there's at least a, a, a subset of people that can connect with this movie better and get more out of it. That's at least a cool aspect. Who the fuck is getting more out of quantum mania? You know, like, yeah, you know, what subset of, uh, of, of the U S demographics is getting more out of Shazam fury of the gods. 
You know, at least there's something in this movie that culturally speaks to some people. That's a cool thing. You know, it, it's, it's not a knock on this movie that that doesn't speak to me. I, it wasn't meant to. That's fine. You know, there are plenty of movies out there, especially of the superhero genre, that speak to white men. I'm covered. Right. You know, if I ever feel like there's just not enough white men in superhero movies, I don't know, I'll go watch a Batman movie or a Superman movie or, you know, Captain America, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy. Still, there's still a white guy in the front. You know, go watch the Hulk. Go watch any of the Ant-Man movies. Go watch Doctor Strange. Thor. Yeah, Thor. You know, go watch the Hawkeye TV series. You know, go watch Daredevil, the Ben Affleck, or the Netflix version. You know, Punisher. Go, Punisher, Ghost Rider. Uh, so all of the superhero movies. Yeah, like, they're just yeah, all so there. All. <laughs> all the rest. <laughs> Every every superhero movie, with the exception of what Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, Blade, uh, Black Panther, and Blue Beetle, like uh, outside of that, if I want white guys as my superheroes, just go watch <laughs> any of the other ones ever made. That is so many. There have been three different white guys to play. Spider-Man in the last 25 years. (laughs) That's crazy. You know, it's not even just one white guy. No, we've had three different white guys. It's crazy. Spoilers? Yeah. Yep. I honestly don't know what to spoil in this movie. It's all in the trailers. There's not a single surprise in this movie. If you've seen the trailers, you've seen the movie. You've just seen it shoved down in the three minutes. Um, I mean, I'll comment on a couple of things. Uh, Earlier, I mentioned that the the suit has wildly inconsistent powers. So when it first latches onto him and it's doing all the tests and stuff like that, it's like, ooh, a threat. Let me, let me protect the host. Let me cut a bus in half. Later, a, a, a guy is able to like just step and crush his face. Over and over again, and the suit doesn't do a damn thing. The suit does nothing in that scene. Um, at one point, the suit like reacts for him and does this other stuff. The suit doesn't react when there's a power, you know, like destroying claw coming at it. it does nothing to try to avoid it, anything like that. Like it's like it acts like then. It only can react if he reacts. 
but that's not what they've established in this movie. They showed that the suit has its own reaction system. It really is just how convenient can we make this movie? How convenient can the suit's powers be? Do we need the suit to suck for this, like, 20 minutes? Yeah. So then that way we can, you know, just write a normal ending. We don't have to, like, ramp up to anything. And then you get to Carpax, the villain, and all this other stuff. I mean, not a single bit of that is how technology works in the slightest. I don't give a fuck if you are using, quote-unquote, future tech or alternate tech or whatever. Getting software doesn't automatically mean your hardware can just do new th- new shit. Like, so at one point, Carpax's little Omax suit, uh, I don't know, just creates a bunch of tubes out of nowhere that just makes armor all of a sudden that he didn't have before, and it gives him abilities he didn't have before the hardware and everything in your suit would have already had to have been capable of that. So what are you doing? Are you making hardware and all this other stuff? You just don't know how to actually make your hardware do it? So you need the software from the Blue Beetle suit to unlock that ability? That's not really how shit works. Because you're you're also creating something out of nothing. When I know it's superhero shit and all this other stuff, but like that was Earth Tech doing that shit. Like that's a little weird. I mean, you could be making cars and all this other shit out of nothing at that point. If you if you're capable of doing that, there's actually so much more money out there that you would be losing out on because you don't want to use your tech for that. You could build fucking houses. And all this other stuff, you could undercut the housing and automobile markets so much that you could just make all the money in the world just based on being able to do that. Military applications alone outside of an Omex suit would be astronomical. You would just have a license to print money if you have that technology. And they're like, nah. We need bodyguard suits. That's how we make our money from this. No, you're missing all the more money when you also don't have to deal with legal issues or any of that other shit. Oh, it's there. Uh, Also, that's not how downloads work. Like data transfers. There's there's no lightning bolts in that data transfer at all. There's none. There's no lightning bolts, bolts in any of that shit. And I know this because that is literally the industry in which I work. It's all about moving data across lines. There's no lightning bolts on any of our data lines. Just throwing that out there. Uh, I am tired of the morally conscious scientist character that has that crisis of conscience and then does the right thing in the end. Tired of that fucking character in these fucking movies. He's sitting there... He was okay with all of the, uh, of what's uh, Jaime, all of his family getting murdered. He was okay with that plan. But when they would just kill just Jaime, he's like, whoa, I got to intervene. You have now 
cross the line, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> when you were going to kill six defenseless people earlier? No harm, no foul as far as I'm concerned. But kill one motherfucker? Oh, no, no, no. He is a hero. His life must be saved at all costs. Not the bystanders. Not the literal collateral damage. Not the civilians. No, no, no. That is just a terrible trope that has been around since like the 1980s. That character was almost in every action movie ever that had scientists in the 80s. If you did an action movie that had a scientist in it in the 80s, that character was in that movie. I'm fucking tired of seeing it. Uh, Carplac or Carpax was just a bland as fuck villain. Just a, you know, he's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a bad guy and I got scars. And I'm you, but red. Ho-ho. That was dumb. Uh, oh, did, did Susan Sarandon need to be in this movie? Really? No. No, she didn't. And see, that's one of my biggest problems, too, is like, what a waste of Susan Sarandon. Like, an opportunity to use her as this great villain because she has, like, a quality about her where she could be an amazing villain with her presence and her delivery of performance. And they it feels so wasted in this movie. That's just because she's an older white lady. They have they scream Karen energy. <laughs> yeah, like they they well, are I think villains oh, in real life. So I'm just I'm just saying it's not that much of a stretch to see her as a villain in that regard. Right, but I just mean like it could have been a better version of a villain. Mm. Yeah, and I think the misstep there was narratively. If we could have saw, I think, saving that origin story of the uh, of our villain, um, all mech armor guy, I think seeing that at the end, all of that at the end and his history with her and all of that stuff, I think because it came at the end and we didn't get pieces of it as we were going along or anything like that. Though it it was effective in making that character a little more than just a I'm the 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 twin on the bad side, I think it was kind of a too little too late sort of thing. Like those scenes should have been sprinkled in as we were going. You know, we should have seen some of that stuff happening whenever he was interacting with Susan Sarandon to get a better idea of her villainy by the time we got to the end but throughout the whole movie she just kind of seemed like that greedy corporate you know i'm trying to use this tech for the wrong reasons person and that you've seen before but i think if we could have sprinkled in the treatment of him and how she got him to be this person maybe that would have like I think been better for her character and his character at the same time. But we got that all at the end and it was kind of like, Oh damn, she did that to him. Damn. 
And then he, then it was over, you know, then we had a resolution. So it was just kind of, I felt like that was a weird time to reveal all of that. I think that should have been throughout the film. Well, that's just because it becomes an info dump. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. Wrap it up. Here you go. All the information you need to know this character right before he makes the moral change. Oh, okay. Uh, An easier way to do that since he already obviously had Omec and, and cybernetic implants and all those other things, um, have him throughout the movie slowly start remembering shit. And she hits some buttons on her phone and that fries his fucking brain through the Omec shit and he forgets again. That's one way yeah. to solve that. Get little bits throughout the movie, like you said, Justin. And it kind of adds to the evil of her character. Like she is intentionally frying this guy's brain and making him forget all the horrible things. Like she's consciously making that decision every time she does it. Yeah. Or, and it could have even been a thing too, where when he, whenever he was a kid, because I mean, she had him since he was a child. So even if you have these scenes where she's manipulating this child and talking about, and he's talking about these hopes and dreams he has, you know, one day I'm going to be strong and all of this kind of stuff like that. And, you know, she's sitting there going, Oh, you will be, you know, and it almost is like, like it's almost like it's supposed to be like the motherly scene. You kind of perverse the motherly scene, kind of encouraging the child, like, Oh yes, you're going to be, you're going to be strong one day and you're going to be, you're going to be do things that, no person like you has ever done and you're special and you're unique. And the whole time it's just manipulation because she knows that she's just going to make this motherfucker a machine. That would have been some fucked up shit. Like, you know, I think there was an opportunity to kind of do something interesting like that. It really just adds some sinister to her, you know? Yeah. She's just a, corporate CEO. And it's really hard to like use that as a villain in a movie because like in the real world, that's what CEOs are too. Like that's just normal ass shit. Like that's par for the course in our everyday lives. Like it also is like implying that there's like good CEOs out there. And, like, by definition, there's really not. Like, in this movie, the what's-her-name character, the the love interest, she's like, oh, I'm taking over. We're going to change. We're going to do this stuff. We're going to give communities back to each other. So we're going to take all these land assets that we have millions of dollars in, and we're just going to give those away. That's a real quick way for your board of directors to sue you and have you removed a CEO. Like, that's what would happen. Because legally, in America, that's what they can do. Because courts have ruled, like, countless times in this country, a CEO in a company's sole purpose, if they are a publicly traded company, is to make money for shareholders. The second that shareholders feel like you are not making money for them, they have the legal precedented right to sue you and will most likely succeed 
and all those things you did or wanted to do will not happen. So as much as this movie wanted to have a good old happy ending for Cord Industries, no. That's not how capitalistic societies work in this country. Or what I'd assume is that country because, you're, you know, it's supposed to be America. So, you know, she's like, oh, we're going to give the whatever section of Paloma, uh, Paloma City, you know, back to them. No, no, you're not. You get sued and it wouldn't happen and you got all these people's hopes up for no reason. And, you know, you couldn't do the little things you could do to help them to get their stuff back. Nope. It would all be for naught, and they'd you'd literally fuck over that whole community again, twice. So, yeah, I have problems with all of that. This movie has a weird amount of dick jokes in it, too. Like, it's weird. They went for dick jokes a lot. Because they were like, oh, look, Jaime's naked. Just like when he was a baby. We're looking at his dick like when he was a baby. And then they do that weird scene later when he's about to kiss the girl on the bed and Uncle Rudy comes in and interrupts. And then like they're all walking away. And then he has to walk like walk off the bed and pull down his shirt to cover his apparent erection. I was like, that is a weirdly placed joke in this obviously family oriented superhero movie you you've got an erection cover-up joke i was very caught off i guess that was the one thing i was surprised by but not in yeah, a I good forgot way about that i was like that's just a little weird i feel like there was another dick joke later in this movie too i don't remember but i feel like there was another one that i was like really again when the machine, when the Blue Beetle computer was like, there's blood rushing to your central area. There you go, Justin. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> they are weirdly obsessed with dick jokes in this movie. Weirdly. As family oriented as this is, they're like, oh, we're going to. And I guess it's not even the fact that they're making dick jokes. It's they're making erection jokes. So it's not even just dick jokes. It is sexually aroused penis jokes. And that is a little odd in this movie. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yep. Like I said, I knew there was another one. Thank you, Justin, for reminding me what that one was. Um, I mean, the end of this movie is insanely anticlimactic. Uh, I, I was let down by the way they handled the father's death in this movie. Now, I did appreciate the way they handled it or the, the, the practicality element of it all. Of the whole, we'll grieve later, we have to act now. I thought that was actually unique that actually they verbalized it in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I kind of dug that. I didn't dig how they telegraphed the father having another heart attack in this movie, like after the first four minutes of the movie, when they were like, yeah, dad had a big heart attack. I didn't necessarily dig that because I was like, oh, cool. This this character is going to die in this movie. That's fun to know at the beginning of the movie. 
one final thing I'll bring up. This is a weird rant that I think weirdly was kind of showcased in this movie. Hollywood needs to get better fight choreographers for when they do fight scenes that are supposed to be non-lethal fight scenes. Because this movie's like, oh, you want to use non-lethal weapons? And he's like, yeah. Then he's like knocking that guy 25 feet back with like a force wave. A, that's going to give him a concussion. B, he could also just land on his head, break his neck, and die. Like so many people, are the way they're flying back and they're hitting shit and they're doing all this other stuff, I'm like, you're still murdering people. Just because you're not shooting them with a bullet and you're hitting them with a concussive wave, you are still murdering so many people in these scenes. And I think it's because the Hollywood fight choreography sensibility in those scenes is do the action scenes the same, but you just say that it's with a concussive force and not an energy disruption beam that would fry them. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like treat them, you know, in that way where you just call it one thing. But like I said, you see 9,000 people die. He's fighting all those guards. He's like, but don't kill them. And they are all dying. I know that in the movie, they don't actually die, but I'm just saying like, there was a guy that like flew back 20 feet through a fence and landed on his neck. Like, Oh, that man's dead. Like, I understand that, like, in the stunt world, the guy actually fell, like, two feet. In the movie, he went back, like, 30 feet. He is dead. And they're just like, nah, it's non-lethal. It's cool. Like I said, this isn't a movie, or this isn't a problem inherent to this movie. This movie just has a scene that's dedicated to showing that off. And I'm just saying, Hollywood, stop it. Just stop it. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I I was actually going to mention that same thing about how I liked I liked the fact that even though the father died in the middle of everything crazy going on, they they had their moment of um being initially obviously heartbroken over it, but then being like, okay, we gotta find Jaime. And then once it was over and they were all together, they're like, okay, now we can actually grieve and be sad about this. I really did like that they did that. I thought that was a really cool element that they added into this because like you said, it's the practicality of it. It is realistic in that situation that you would be like that about it, I think. Um, and I also, and I, I forgot to mention him earlier. I really liked the dad too. I thought he was a really good character. Um, he felt like the most real, actual like person that you would know in real life (laughs) of all these characters, like just that really, you know, sweet dad that's hardworking and whatnot. And I really liked his character too. Um, But my thing is too, because you had mentioned about like, they talk about that heart attack pretty early on in this movie. That is one of my issues with this movie is that entire scene where Jaime is coming back and he's talking to his family and they're like, listen, so we lost the house or was it the house that they lost? Right? Or no, they lost their business. Like the, the business, business closed. I'm sorry. And they were yes. going to lose the house because they tripled the rent 
but they were given 90 days to come up with the money. Right. Which makes no sense to me because it's like, oh, you got to come up with the money. But then what do you do for the next month's rent that is still tripled after that? Right. If you come up with all that money, you still got to keep paying it, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so there was all that and they throw that on him and then they're like, oh, and also, you know, dad had a heart attack and they're like, oh, we didn't want to, you know, worry you while you were at school about all of these things. And I'm like, ah, that's a really bad call. Like, especially with the, the, the heart attack that his dad had, like, that's something that you can bother your child away at school with. I think (laughs) like, I feel like that was an odd choice, especially for such a close family like that. To be like, you know, oh, yeah, let's not bother him about the fact that his father had a heart attack. Like, you don't know what was going to happen on the other end of that. Like, that's a that's a moment when you bother him at school. So I just thought that was an interesting choice that they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, we didn't tell you any of this. And I honestly don't know what that really served in the movie either. Like, they could have had it written where he's like, oh, yeah, dad, like, I'm sorry I couldn't be here to see you when you had your heart attack. It, it could have been where he knew. So I don't I don't understand why they necessarily made it a point to say that he didn't know about these things when he was gone. Um, maybe the house thing, because he would have wanted to come back sooner and try to help probably. But yeah, I just I, I just thought it was an interesting choice to, to be like, oh, hey, we're not going to tell the one person in the family that's away about anything going on. So yeah, that was, that was a, that was a choice I didn't necessarily like. Um, also did not like the whole thing of, um, Jenny offering the, you know, interviewer, whatever to him. And he gets there and just his entire behavior while he's there, like waiting for her to come and get him for this interview when he's just like impatiently waiting, but he's also like, the minute he sees her coming down that elevator, um, that's not necessarily towards him. He gets up and like sprints after and runs after and jumps down things to get to her when she's going down this elevator. And I'm like, that is the wildest behavior for somebody who's trying to get a job here. Like, <laughs> why would you also like, what if she's in the middle of another interview or something for work where she's just not ready for you yet? Like, it was just the weirdest choice for him to make. And like, I know that they were trying to show that desperation of, Hey, I really need this job. I really need this money. But it, it, instead of it being like this urgent, like, Hey, you know, I I'm here, I'm ready and I'm eager. It was like stalker mode for this. And it was just a very odd way to go about showing that side of Jaime's character. But it was like, I mean, mostly what they did between Jenny and Jaime was fine, but that was a weird decision to me to like have him just be real extra about that interview situation. But um, (laughs) otherwise I, and the thing is I also don't fully know how to feel about the character of Jenny. Like, I, I guess like my initial thought is like, yeah, I like her and she was helpful. You know, she was useful and stuff. But again, she's probably of the characters in this movie. She's the one that you kind of cling to the least because they do so well with, like we talked about these family dynamics and building these family characters that they overshine or outshine Jenny in this movie, I think, in my opinion. And so I'm much more interested about Jaime's interaction with his family members than I am with his love interest in this movie. 
So, and that's probably by design. And I do, but I do like how they really made it seem like, yeah, Jaime is the superhero, but he can't really do any of this without his family's support. Um, I kind of liked that. I thought that was cool. I thought it was also unique to like the superhero world to have that be like how, like, I mean, everybody in his family helped save him pretty much helped save him from whatever situation he was in. I can't think of one where by himself he defeated anybody or, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like even the fights, something that uncle Rudy did or something that somebody else did, like saved him from getting demolished. So, which I mean, I guess I mostly do like that, but it does also beg the question of why are we rooting for this as our superhero if he can't defeat anybody on his own? So I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's weird. It's weird. But um, for the sake of the movie and what they did with it, I liked it because again, the family aspect is what they did well in this movie. And that served that better than it did the superhero part of it. Um, but I mean, and again, like with the, yeah, I, I didn't really fully click that right away, Sterling, but yeah, the fact that all of the jokes that they were going for were in the trailer, it really, it just made nothing that anybody said a surprise when it was supposed to be funny. Um, I don't know. Maybe I need to stop just watching the trailers before I go see a movie. Cause like, I feel like it has ruined it a few times, like in the past year for me, but yeah, I think um, you you knew what was going to be said. You knew the jokes that were coming. And the only time that it felt like they weren't trying to show you that they were a funny movie, it was those quirky in-between moments of just like Jaime being just a human person that was awkward sometimes. <laughs> like I think those parts were funny. Like when he's trying to talk to Jenny or, you know, trying to like, be smooth with her or whatever it is. And like just being completely awkward. That was probably the more entertaining moments of the movie. Um, that or the dynamic between Jaime and his sister. I think those moments were actually funnier than most of the George Lopez moments. Um, but yeah, I, I, and again, I do think they did the sincerity of the movie. Well, um, any moment when someone's having a heart to heart with somebody else in this, it's really well done. It's really good. And I do like, I like this suit. Yeah, because definitely it's very, this movie felt very much like, oh, this is Iron Man meets Spider-Man for me is what I got from it. But um, I, I liked the suit. I liked this suit. That's like anything that you can think of, I can do for you. And just how very, quickly it did anything that it needed it to do like i i thought it was a really really cool suit um but i don't like that it had to disintegrate disintegrate the clothes every time <laughs> like that's the most inconvenient suit at that point like you could do anything you want but it can't not burn your clothes like i feel like they should be able to change that in some way but um yeah i don't know and yeah again just a little bit more with the susan sarandon thing I just really, I think that they really could have given her a better motivation or just a better, like, she was just a villain that, that didn't feel like 
she felt like a written villain instead of just an actual person that was evil. She felt like I was told to say these lines because I'm the bad guy (laughs) in this movie. Like what's wrong? Well then just fix it. And like just all of the weird tropey villain who wants to control everything, but doesn't know anything type of thing about her. And she really, I think she could have been such a great, like hauntingly good villain if they had given her a better story in this movie. Um, But all of that said, I, um, I don't know. I, I feel like again, yeah, if you go into this not thinking you want to see a super great like superhero movie, then you're set. You're fine. You're like, okay, this is a fun, just a fun film on its own. But yeah, I, I don't know. I also didn't like that um, at the end, whenever Jenny's like, hey, we're going to restore all the things that were broken and they give Uncle Rudy that new truck. And I'm like, I, I personally thought they were going to offer him a job. And they did not. (laughs) And that was a little disappointing. But instead they're like, hey, but we got you a new truck, you know. And then he did his whole thing of like, all right, I guess it's fine. The truck's all right. And it's like, it would have been a cool moment too because of how jaded Uncle Rudy is to be like, hey, we're offering you a job. And it kind of take him aback and completely change how he's like, we never get opportunities here and I never get an opportunity and I'm smarter than half these people. Because, you know, that's how he felt. And for her to actually, if she had actually been like, hey, we want to offer you a job at the at the company, like it would have completely shut him up, you know, and I feel like it would have been like a good character arc moment for him if they would have done that and they missed that opportunity. So there's things that I just wish they would have kind of, there has been better payoffs for, I guess. But again, all in all, like, just the way that they do the characterizations in this movie make it ahead of lots of other superhero movies in the DC of recent memory. So yeah, that's all I got for now. Gaston, bring us home. All right. So yeah, y'all are making a lot of um, good points. Uh, to just start with some things that I like, I guess. Uh, I think that one of the things that does make the story unique, and and this is probably something that, I mean, maybe I'm just, I mean, there's been tons of comic book movies, but I don't think there's been one where the family at the same time as the hero discovered the powers, got the powers, and had to learn what the powers were all with family members. I don't think that that's ever happened in a, in a, in a comic book movie. Normally the formula is this person discovers this on their own or it's some accident somewhere else. And they're keeping this from family members until the movie is ready for family members to find out, or sometimes the family members don't find out or whatever the case may be, or the other members associated with the character. That is the one, I guess you could say 
innovative or kind of new thing about this is that the moment he discovered the Blue Beetle, the family was there. When the Blue Beetle latches on to him and he goes to space and comes back and does all of that stuff, the family's involved the whole time. So that, I think, is another thing that makes this family dynamic. You know, it's easy to sit up here and say, the family dynamic worked. But when you start breaking down why, that is one of the big reasons. They knew the whole time. They were kind of in on it the the, the whole time. So they understood, like, w- what Jaime was going through, what happened with this, how he got into this. You know, none of that was concealed from them. Everybody knew. So that's... Something that so because we didn't have to tell that familiar story of the, you know, Jaime keeping it from his family and not wanting to be honest with them because he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to bring this to them. We didn't have to do any of that in this movie. So essentially the family got to be involved the whole time. And ultimately, that is what keeps the the, the movie strong even when like the special effects superhero stuff is failing, we're, we have always got somebody from the family involved on screen or talking to him or taking him somewhere or it, it doing something to save him, etc. So that's what made the family dynamic strong. That's another element of it. It wasn't just so much the acting and just the casting. But it was the storytelling was so just family first with everything that that's sort of what kept you along for the ride. That They were always involved. They were always around. And that's what makes this movie different. You know, it's dawning on me now. They did it so seamlessly in here that it's dawning on me now. Oh, that's what that's the X factor of this movie. It was that choice that that's the big choice that separates it. So, so anyway, all of that is, is, is what makes it good. So, um, however, that choice, while maybe you could argue is the best choice was the best choice they made for the film. That's their strongest choice. There are other things that suffer like Susan Sarandon she just has no connection with our hero. There's no real emotional connection besides she wants the she wants the tech. You know what I mean? Other than that, there's but there's not that like emotional thing that ties the hero with the villain. You know, like when you think about all the great villains, there's some sort of tie. Sorry, there's some sort of tie with the superheroes or or some of the heroes, something like that. You know, Thanos had connections with Gamora and everything. You know, the Thanos had connections with the other super emotional connections just beyond. I want to destroy the world. Killmonger. There was the emotional connection that he was a member of the, the, the tribe and the family and all of that stuff. Beyond just, I want to take over Wakanda. 
you know, with all the great villains, there's something that has to tie the the hero and the villain that I think is that 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 is more emotional than just the basic things that we do. Unfortunately, here, our hero kind of, I mean, I feel like Jaime stumbled into all of this and is reacting sort of to 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 everything happening to him. And, and there you don't really have that sort of emotional thing of, oh, well, Susan Sarandon is tied to the family because of this, or Susan Sarandon is the woman that fired his dad. I don't know. I don't know. It needed something, though. I feel like there needed to be some connection there. I And, and with all that, too, it's, it's like they just kind of made Susan Sarandon the weird background villain to things because they're – their property was owned by Cord Industries and she ran Cord Industries. Like it's it's all those little things, but it's like, is that really enough? Yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah. So so you're right. They had some again, back to that safe word, that word safe. You know, that's just a key word here. There were some safe connect they there were some connections. But like we're saying, they were too safe. I think I needed something a little more extreme. I needed something a little more emotional than, well, she's just in the company and the company did this. I don't know. Maybe if she literally was the one who was like, (laughs) she was there when they were told you got to come up with this payment or something. I don't know. I just, I felt like we just needed a, a, a little bit more, you know, than the, 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 than some of the, than what we got in here. I just it wasn't emotional enough for me. The the connection between hero and villain. So it just felt like the whole time Jaime is just sort of reacting to what's happening to him. So it's just kind of in that way. It's sort yeah. of a weak hero's journey in that way. You know what I mean? Because there's just nothing emotionally connecting him in that way to what's happening. Even the suit, the suit chose him. You know what I mean? He, you know, everything is sort of happening to this character. And you just don't have that emotional tie. And I think when you have that, I'm not saying you can't tell a story like that, but when you have that, the, the, the hero's journey is stronger. I mean, I know y'all weren't the biggest fans of it, but even in Super Mario Brothers, we're on the journey because Mario caused this. He wanted to go into the pipe dream. He wanted to fix New York and they try to be heroes. It was ultimately his fault that Luigi got separated from him. So there's that emotional tie of Mario going, I have to fix this. You didn't really have that here. You know what I mean? So... I'm not saying that 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 you can't tell a story like that because you can. And and the story can still sometimes shit happens to people. And then they're like, damn, I'm in this situation now. I got to fix it. So, yes, that can be relatable in a way. But. I don't know, man, it just felt like a lot that that was just kind of what drove this and. I just wish it was a little bit stronger. A hero in, of circumstance or something, or a hero just because of his yeah. surroundings at the moment. Yeah. Well, I really yeah. like one of the things you said, Justin. 
There's a bunch of shit happening to him. It didn't really feel like he did anything to the story as much as the story just happened to him. And that does cause a divide because, you know, why does, why does Iron Man end up being so interesting? Because while elements happen to him, he makes part of the story go forward. You know, he makes the suit. He does this. He has the change of heart. He does these things. Like, why does Spider-Man work? Well, while the, the, what caused him to be a superhero was an accident. Everything else is what he does with it, what he moves forward with it. Well, yes, a bunch of tragic and bullshit things happen to him constantly. It's, you know, him using that mantra. It's him moving forward with that. It's, they don't do as much of that in this movie. It's just all this shit happens to him. He gets the yeah. suit and then he, you know, then his family gets attacked and then he has to break out of the place. And then it's his family does more active participation in the story than he does. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. Which is why there's another reason why they are the strongest and best thing about this. It's not even him really. It's, it's like, it's like the family was the superhero and he was the family member that, is along for the ride. It almost, I mean, in some ways, it almost feels like that. Like, because he the had family the family representative, but of it, yeah, he, yeah, or, or because he had the suit, but it was Jenny who had the connection well, with Susan Sarandon. It was the the family that you know made the choice. Ultimately, makes the choice and goes. He's captured. Our our dad is dead. We got to make this big choice to be heroes and go save him and stuff like that. They were having the moments that he should have been having. Yeah, they were moving the story forward. Yeah. If you really look at it, what ends up happening is that the family unit as a whole becomes a character and Jaime is the superpower that the family has. Yeah. Yeah. The overall family collective is the hero and he is the power. Yep. Yeah. That's true. And it ends up becoming a weird storyline like Spider-Man lost his power he has to go through trials to get it back. It's yeah, they lost Jaime. They have to go get him back. That's a good point. Yeah, and but then that's also a good all way of, of the, looking at it. All of the weapons too were Jenny's dad's, <laughs> like uh, the ones that weren't the superhero powers. You know. You know, I will give this movie credit for that. When they had in the trailer, like in the trailer, it gives away that it's, you know, alien tech is the Blue Beetle. Um, that's the suit. It's all alien tech. I was like, well, then how did they get the fucking Blue Beetle ship? If this is alien tech, did this little fucking metal scarab rock thing fly a ship? Is that what they're going to say? And then they established then because they had to retcon, I don't know, the entire DCEU to throw the fact that Blue Beetle used to be a superhero in Paloma City all of a sudden. It was also the timeline's all weird. Because he took a lot of shit from Batman. He's like, oh, I'm going to do a utility belt and all this other shit like Batman. But when the fuck was this happening? Did he disappear the day before Jaime got back from fucking college? Like, that is all yeah. a gigantic ass mess. But, like, that's the way it ends up becoming, though. That, like, well, at least they had that whole thing of, like, oh, well, the Blue Beetle ship 
was, you know, this other thing. But, you know, from from Cord and all this other stuff. But I'm like, once again, why do we have these super rich superheroes with all this amazing tech that refuse to, I don't know, use it to actually help humanity? You've got flying ships and all this other shit. You're not trying to change aviation. You're not trying to change the way we do ground transportation. Like, how much of this country could we restore back to, like, you know, its natural way if we can get rid of highways and all this other shit? Because, you know, you got flying cars now and all this other bullshit. Like, no, no, no. I want to keep this flying tech for myself. Because fuck humanity. And what I, I will say this. I think I've brought it up in another podcast or two that or I just have been thinking it ever since the trailer. I really do like the one joke in here, though, where Rudy yells, Batman is a fascist. Yeah, <laughs> Batman kind of be fascisting. But I then disagree with the next sentence where he's like, but Blue Beetle was legit. Or whatever the fuck he said, trying to justify the Blue Beetle doing the same exact things that Batman does too. If Batman is a fascist, by de- like by default, Blue Beetle is also because that version of Blue Beetle is essentially Batman also, just not as effective. He's a less effective fascist. I think he said. But Blue Beetle was funny or Blue Beetle was fine or something or something like that. He was like, but Blue Beetle was funny or Blue Beetle had a sense of humor. It was something like that. It was something like Blue Beetle makes you laugh or it was something to that effect. But yeah, so that, yeah. He, was, he was a funny fascist. OK, <laughs> still fascist nonetheless. Like, yeah. But 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 back but that point that you made about how the 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 character was the family and then the superpower was Jaime, that's a very just very interesting way to tell this story. And it's just that as good as as interesting as that is, you just really when you break it down a little bit, you see kind of the cons of it with just how uh it And I don't know, maybe it's a comfort thing. Maybe we are just used to these origin stories being told such a way. This feels wrong or not as good or something like that. But I don't know if it's it's, if it's that it's bad or if it's just that it's unfamiliar. So it seems not as good. I'm the 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 jury's still out of my head like that. Because I do think that that is a different way to tell this story, but but just none of the other elements felt different. I'm I'm in agreement with everything you guys said about the suit. As far as what he could do, what he couldn't do, my problem was okay. You can make whatever you imagine, and the suit's going to protect you and everything like that. And I, I don't know. I just felt like. If there was something about this suit that was a weakness of some sort, or if there was something he had to do in a certain time, or it only has a certain amount of energy that it needs to recharge, or it, I don't know, the suit needed something 
so that he could struggle with it beyond just, whoa, whoa, what's happening, I think. There needed well, to be something. They kind of did that, but it was in a very ineffective way when they were like, when the suit was the least effective and had issues outside of when it first got it, was when it did only what Jaime wanted. You know? So once again, like where Jaime is the superpower of the family, Jaime is the weakness of the suit. You know? When he was like, hey, just do non-lethal, just do this, just do that. When he held the suit back, that was the weakness of the suit. The suit was less effective. The suit didn't know what to do, all these other things. Like, But it was just kind of ineffective because the suit went from giving him non-lethal options and all this other shit to also just not doing a damn thing in those instances. Like, that's where it was weird. And I, I was really, like, bummed whenever they did that whole, oh, the suit needed to, like, reboot. So it was just useless for, like, 10 minutes of the, the movie just because they needed him to not do anything for 10 minutes other than run around without a mask, which that makes that suit look very rubbery in those instances because he's just in a bodysuit at that point. So it looks kind of rubbery. You see it like crease and bend like a rubber suit. And it kind of disillusions the whole fact of this is supposed to be a sentient extraterrestrial armor. And it looks like when the Flash put on a Batman suit. Yeah. And and I think kind of what I'm alluding to is, is like, I think... What it needed was something because, yeah, that was sort of their way to have sort of a a difficult moment where the suit had to reboot and he couldn't use it. But what I think this movie needed was something to the effect of like instead of it being so symbiotic that it's automatically just joining with him and he can't do anything about it. And if we take it away you that just means you're automatically going to die i wish that maybe that was the point of the suit like maybe it wasn't as powerful because he hadn't fully accepted it if it was sort of a thing of you know it's trying to connect with you it's trying to you know fully accept you but you're not fully accepting this kind of like He's still on the fence of, do I want to be this person or not? Kind of like it's it's the whole thing of, is this the choice I want to make? So maybe if there was like this struggle, like maybe he's, you know, the suit's on him and he's using it and stuff. But if there were these moments where they were like out of sync or something would happen on an accident, he didn't really intend it. And then maybe you find out, that, well, the suit chose you, but maybe there's something in you. Maybe you haven't fully chosen this suit. You know, maybe this is not, you know, I feel like there there needed to be like a way for him to control more of what was happening in this or choose more of what was happening. I mean, he kind of did with the whole, oh, don't do the non-lethal thing, but I almost wish like, it wasn't so easy to do that. I, I wish that it was more about him 
accepting this too. You know what I mean? Rather than, well, it's just connecting with you and it ain't shit you can do about it. You know, I wish it was more like it's trying, but y'all haven't, you haven't reached the full potential of this suit because you won't allow this to happen to you. And maybe if it was this thing of this character being indecisive and, you know, he went to school, that didn't work out because he couldn't make a choice. And, you know, maybe if his arc was, I can't seem to make a definitive choice for my life. And now you're kind of at this thing where, are you going to make the choice to do this? You know, I don't know. I think at the end, then that conversation that he has with his father, which was kind of just a black Panther that we did there with the, you know, in the spirit world with the father. So that was kind of black Panthery. but I think it would have came off a little better if this whole time, you know, he's having trouble accepting this. And it's that talk with the father. That's like, nah, man, this is what you were meant to do. This is the thing that's been missing. You know, you haven't been, you know, you've been struggling with all these choices, but maybe that's because right here, right now, this is the choice. This is the one where, you know, you're going to feel most at home if you make it, but you have to believe you have to make the choice and believe in your choice, you know, stick with it and shit. I don't know. I just feel like it, it needed something like that, you know? Well, I think it could be because, like you said, like what you just alluded to, this is part Iron Man, part Spider-Man, part Black Panther, part, you know, it's so many parts of all these other movies that it never coalesces into a full own movie. Yeah. In that regard. Yeah. So even like, and and even all like you're saying, the part Iron Man stuff, so all that suit stuff, None of it felt interesting or new because we've seen the Jarvis Iron Man suit. You know, we got this suit, Spider-Man, the homecoming. We saw all of that with the suit and the voice and them going back and forth and stuff like that. So none of that, none of that was new. So I don't know. Maybe if you have this struggle of him, like, man, I don't even really want to do this. I don't like that you're on me. Or if there was this back and forth of him not being so comfortable with this, I mean, they decided to make all of that comedic. But I don't know. Maybe if he really was just like hella uncomfortable with this shit, like, well, one way to do that is lean into the fact that they were like, this is a world destroying weapon. When it's like, have it be where he's constantly having to fight the suit wanting to murder and all those things. Yeah. Instead of just being like, fine, we'll do non-lethal. And I mean, I hate saying that because then it becomes part venom. But still, like, it's that at least gives you a little bit more dynamic than just what they did in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, it just feels like everything's happening to him. Let me get the suit off. Oh, well, you can't because it's fully molding with you. If you take it off, you're dead. Well, fuck. I mean, I guess I'm a superhero then. Like, I don't know. I just, it just felt like everything was forced upon him. I just, I just want my protagonist to make more choices. I just want them to, I just want to feel like they really chose this, not the suit chose you you know 
unless the suit is the main character, unless the bug is the main character, I need him to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. But it just felt like it was forced upon him. And I don't know how many choices he had other than just to do this shit, you know? Well, it kind of becomes a weird, like, superhero version of The Sims. And like, but you don't get to control any of it because it's just like he's a character and it's just like, nope, now you do this. Like something else is just saying, this is what you do. This happens to you. You do this. Like there's no action from him in that regard. So you're just watching shit happen to a guy that is supposed to be the main character. Yeah. Like it's just- and so like, no, you're you're absolutely right. And like, so the fighting that he's doing, the suit's doing it for him. The 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 blades and all of that stuff, the suit's doing it for him. His cuts and scars, the suit can heal him. The 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 I don't know. It just I I just felt like I needed a little more than that. Um, uh, and, and I feel like maybe that was the sacrifice of like you of like you said, making the family the character. It's not just Jaime, it's all of them is the character. And then the suit is just, and then Jaime just is just the powers. I don't know. I think that this is the sacrifice of that. It's just, it just didn't feel like he was, this is just a very weird hero's journey. And I just don't know if I like it. It's different, but I don't know if I like it that much. Um But but I mean, other than that, you know, um, the the Gatlin gun grandma was was fine. I, I did like the grandma in this. I liked her. I liked all of the even though. Yeah, that scene, we saw a little bit of that in the in the trailers and stuff, if you remember them. But still her doing it. I, I really liked the grandmother in this. I thought that she was a, a cool character um, and like you said, the part about wait to grieve until we can get Jaime back and grieve, you know, we have to compartmentalize this. And then now that we've got everybody, now we can grieve together. That was a great scene. And, and, and a lot of that was her, um, was her acting. So I really liked her. I really liked the grandma in this. I was really feeling all of the shit that she was doing. I think that all that was um pretty tight and, and yeah so by the time we get to the end of this like you said it just ends sort of like just all those movies that we've seen you know i mean even if jaime at the end was like well even though i'm this superhero i'm gonna choose to do this a different way i still want to work i still want to be a member of society i'm gonna figure out how I mean, I know this stuff is supposed to destroy people, but I'm going to figure out how to help people. Or I don't know. I think it just needed uh, j- just something a little more. I get it. Okay. Yes. Great. The family's okay. We don't have to worry about the house. We don't have to worry about Uncle Rudy's taco truck. You know, we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. But I just, I just don't know. I just needed this character to make a choice that was not forced upon him. I, I just really think I needed that. And I just don't think I ever got that. So that's just kind of a lingering thing, but, uh, but, but still overall in enjoyed it, it was enjoyable for what it was. 
and everything like that. I'm not saying that this makes the movie bad or anything, but it just, but, but, but it leaves something to be desired. I think for what they did with this hero journey. And I think that that's what ultimately prevents it from being like a great movie to me. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, you guys got any more thoughts about this movie? No. Nope. On that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Uh, Cinema Slayers podcast on Facebook, Cinema underscore Slayers on Twitter, Instagram, and thread Cinema Slayers pod on TikTok at Cinema Slayers pod on YouTube. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. It'd really help us out. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love... Crime fighting with family. That works. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Plug Me Go and Mundo Cho for our theme song and logos respectively. Just remember here at the Cinema Slayers podcast, we were both pro-slut and pro-Sydney. You are Knuff, and no one is pro Burger King. Justin, you can give me that dumbfounded face all you want. You still didn't eat it in the past week, so I don't want to hear it. I drove by. Okay. I did my drive by. I drove by Burger King. That did nothing for that store. You didn't, did you drive by proudly or did you just go drive by like, oh, good riddance to bad rubbish? No, I drove by and was like, yeah, dude, that's tight. You heard it from Jastin. Burger King is bad rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) And as I always in these YouTube videos, podcasts, and TikToks, just remember, according to Jastin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. I don't know why my whenever he went up to the song. <laughs> I was going to say whenever he went up to space and came down, I expected him to go, man, I need a burger. It's like, and he could have flew to Burger King. It's like and my mixer didn't want to play the theme song because then that means I couldn't talk more shit about Burger King. <laughs> it didn't want the Burger King hate to end. So he didn't want the episode to end yet. Why didn't they, why didn't they take that scene from Iron Man where he had a Burger King burger? That could have been a little homage to Iron Man. That's all I'm saying. Like this movie didn't have enough of those? <laughs> you needed more I references just to another company's franchise yeah man I'm trying to have it my way dog you know how that go when you a BK mofo you know how that go <laughs> I don't and D, can you really say that do you really know how it goes <laughs> you haven't eaten there in what like 15 months do you really know if that's the case Hey, look, I don't have to eat it every day to support it. 
suggested, I think every once in a while would be enough. <laughs> Are you sure? I like how I do it, though. I like supporting from afar. I like this this long distance relationship. But you don't really support them. With. That's the problem. <laughs> Justin, they have made zero dollars off of you in a very for a very long time. You can't even go in there and just like, I don't know, order a onion ring or something to give them a little <laughs> bit of money. You can't even go in and just go, hey, can I get a Diet Coke or something? Like, you can't even just stop there when you're parched to get a beverage. You would rather just keep driving Hmm. and probably go to McDonald's for your beverage. I don't like how you make me feel about it. I, I just... I just don't feel this way. I just I sometimes like, the truth I, is uncomfortable, Justin. I like the support that I give them. They don't. I, they want your money, <laughs> motherfucker. I think emotional support is just as good as monetary. Support. If you were I'm, talking about the Burger King, maybe, but as a company, no. Oh man. We just went over it, Justin. Their whole responsibility, fiduciarily speaking, is just to make money. And you help them none with that, so they don't care. Hmm. I might give them a follow on Twitter or and just like tell them. I think they would rather you get a ninety nine cent burger than that. <laughs> Go get some but, chicken sticks or something. Yeah, maybe I could do that. Tune in next week okay. to find out the excuse that Justin <laughs> uses to not go again. <laughs> Don't call me out like that. The people know how I roll. Yeah, we have documented evidence you haven't gone there in so long. From yourself. That's the sad thing. You don't even have the support for them to lie to me to say that you actually (laughs) ate there. You just go, nah, still haven't done it. I'm just, I'm just waiting until I really need it. You know, I just like to wait. That's the thing. I think Burger King as a company, which would much rather you lie that you ate there just so I can, would stop talking so much shit. Like, as much as you're like, oh, I'm supporting from afar, I am actively attacking them way more. I I like to look at it as I'm just building up an appetite. I'm just waiting. A lot of people are waiting to eat Burger King. Hella waiting. Hella waiting. I'm just waiting. At a certain point, I don't know if that's waiting and just not going. Hmm. I think it's waiting for us both. Don't answer, Heather. I got you. All right, I'll make a deal with you right now, Justin. Next week, the episode after this one is our fan-requested episode. We are going to do the Cinefan Essential Beetlejuice. 
It'll just. I am willing to go get Burger King before that episode. As long as you are too. We can both sit here before we'll record it and everything and eat some BK during the intro. I'm willing to do it if you are, Justin. All you got to do is say the word. Before we record, you don't even have to decide now, Justin. Let and me, I'm asleep on it. I'm going to drive by there a few times. I'll get to the bottom of this. I'll make it even sweeter for you, Justin. If you do this, I'll even send you the money to cover your food. So then that way, I would have to support Burger King twice. 200% more than you for this deal. Man, you are such a good bud. And if I'll I'll even cool you to do that. And I I apologize, Heather. I didn't mean to leave you out of this deal. If Heather goes and get it, I'll pay for hers too. Pay for my chicken sticks. I will pay for an entire podcast's worth of Burger King. All you have to do, Justin, is agree to go get it. To eat it. <laughs> All the support and like it's in his face and he's like, oh, we'll get to the bottom of it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to actually eat so the many food reasons you to, to go love. and you just still aren't. <laughs> I, can't, I can't pass this Free up. Burger King, by I, the way. Free Burger this. King. Whatever you want, Justin. You want to get five Bacon Kings? I will send you that money. You can DoorDash it. You don't even have to go there. Yeah. You, know, this is have it you can just to have door. it to where it's delivered to your house when you roll up. I could. Yeah. You know what? Let, let, let's let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's get some. Let, let, let's have. Let's let's eat some BK together. All right. But y'all can't. But y'all can't spit it out and go. This is so gross. I will. I will eat it and don't digest be mean, it and everything. Okay? Oh yeah, I won't do that. I won't. I won't spit it out. I mean, no, it'll be fine. Just, just to make it even better, Justin, I will eat a burger. I will eat some chicken matchsticks, some fries, and onion rings. Okay, I will go. I'll out. get a burger. I'll try their nuggets too. Right. Their fries are. They're shit. I'll eat them. I wasn't gonna say that. Their fries are just. What do you call it? Shitty? Challenged. Shitty. Got it. They're tastefully challenged or something like that. But but look, the, the fries are, are a challenge. But I will get a, a, a bacon king and I do want to try their nuggets. I'm curious about the nugs. All right. I got to get to the bottom of this. I got to see if these nugs are how it be. All right. So. We'll just see if this is if you have the same energy when we record next week. Okay. So we'll see. Give the people so what they want. All you Sin fans out there, you will know at the beginning of next week's episode whether or not Justin actually supports Burger King or not. <laughs> Definitively. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta put my, well, your money where my mouth is. I guess. Yeah. 
you you have no risk other than actually having to eat the food you claim to love. I do say I love it. And I can't, I, and I have to show that I like it. You don't have to show you like shit. You can hate every second of it and then lie and say you loved it. But people will know because my face will grit. I think people know by the fact that you haven't been there in a year. <laughs> you think so? No I offense. Mean, I'm just saying. I mean, honestly, <laughs> give away the secrets out. <laughs> that just sounds even more beneficial for me. I will gladly pay for you to show visible evidence of the fact that you don't actually like Burger King. That sounds great. No. Win win for everybody. No, I can't be. Somebody wins either way. That might actually like your dislike of the food and physical grimace of it might actually make the food taste better for me. So I'm for it. Anything to make it taste better. And you physically hating it would do that for me. Okay, we're going to do this. You know what? It's happening. We're we're, going to do it. We'll see. Nice. I'm I'm ready, but we'll see, because we also kind of had this deal before the Spider-Man episode. You, you didn't do it then, so we'll see. But I'm ready. Okay, okay. On that note, I'm out. Fuck Burger King a third time, but did it, Jason? <laughs>